It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today on Locked On Canadians, I have two special guests telling me all about the future of the Montreal Canadiens defense. That's coming up in just one moment here on Locked On Canadians. You are Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to episode 891. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. My name is Laura Sab, also known as The Active Stick, and I'm not joined, as always, by the wonderful Scott Matla. He is off this week, and instead I have a very densely packed conversation with uh, two of my favorite public scouts, and that's all coming up all this week. I've got three episodes, and it's all prospect-related. So without further ado, I'm going to start. On today's episode, what you're going to hear is all about Lane Hudson's progress. You're going to hear all about David Reinbacher's upside. We talked a lot about the downsides. We're going to talk about the upsides and where we can expect him to end up uh, with the Montreal Canadiens. And then finally, we're going to talk about Adam Engstrom, who this year has really emerged as a promising defensive prospect. My guests are the wonderful Hattie Kalakesh and Sebastian High, both of the Locked On NHL Prospects podcast, which you can find wherever you get this podcast and you should be subscribed to because they've got so much insight. They're also from Dauber Prospects. Sebastian is the head of scouting as well as the director of European scouting for Dauber Prospects. Um, and Hattie is the director of North American scouting for Dauber Prospects. Uh, also, you will find their work literally everywhere. Uh, Hattie also writes for Habs Eyes on the Prize. And you can bet that I asked them a lot of questions and there was a lot of information. In fact, it was so much, like I said, I had to split it up. So the first segment, we're going to talk about Lane Hudson. So I'm here with Sebastian High and Hadi Kalakesh of Locked On NHL Prospects, which you should really be listening to. Whether or not they're talking about Habs prospects, they know everything about everything. So really, you should be checking out their podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today, Hadi and Sebastian, to talk about, specifically today, we're going to be talking about Habs prospects. Sure, that's area of expertise. So uh, let's get right into it. It's going to be fun. Let's go. All right. So the first thing I want to talk about is Lane Hudson, because... You know, we were hyped. Sebastian, you were with us from the beginning. We were hyped oh, yeah. about this short king. Um, and, you know, all he did this year was build upon that hype. He, he had a really successful year in the NCAA. So I want to talk a little bit about just how far he came within the span of one year and what we think his next step is going to be. Now, I think that it's going to be a little bit more time in the NCAA, but I would love your thoughts. Like, how have you seen his progression this year? It's been awesome. Uh, he he progressed more than I expected him to. And yep. uh, I had him ranked 11th overall. So he, he had a tremendous season. And uh, I don't think anybody uh, except maybe himself and his family expected him to be as good as he was uh, immediately. Like I, I was expecting maybe a first couple months of him testing the water and the NCAA and getting used to the style of play, which is just completely different from the USHL. But uh, he just thrived immediately, and 
that despite the fact that it, like like my biggest concerns in his draft year were his pivots and they didn't progress too much in his D plus one. And despite that, he came such a long way. Uh, he's, he became a far more, um, I think, controlled offensive player of now it's controlled chaos. Whereas in the past, it was perhaps a bit more. Um, chaos. Yeah, and yeah. spontaneous. And he adapted. It was kind of improvised often, despite his intelligence. But and, and he can do that because he processes the game so damn quickly that he can improvise and do just fine. But he added an element of control and he started attacking the middle a lot more effectively and consistently. His shooting habits became incredible and he's worked on his shot a lot as well like he's he's become a true dual threat from the blue line which is rare for a deep for a d plus one so uh lane hudson progressed really well and uh, i enjoyed every second of it yeah fully agreed i mean there, there's also the element of uh you know we didn't see much much progression in his like like sebastian mentioned his pivots his, his skating abilities in general uh but i feel like he got a lot more intelligent and composed defensively he's not kind of jumping the gun every chance that he gets he's still getting beat wide just because his skating can't keep up with his brain but in situations where he doesn't need to go at full speed where he has the time to react to think about what the next opposing move will be he's gotten a lot better at anticipating moves at getting into lanes preemptively and kind of stopping chances from occurring before they kind of materialize so that's one thing i've seen as an improvement in hudson's game but yeah the controlled element is both more present in his offensive game and more present in his defensive game which is what you want out of hudson at this level i mean he still got he still has ways to go um, I think at, at minimum a full year in the NCAA next year would benefit him maybe one more just to iron out his skating deficiencies and his defensive game even more. But I mean, you're talking about a, a guy who didn't need to improve his offensive game and still did. So it's just, it's, it's amazing. And you know, when's the last time a defenseman uh, led his conference in scoring in his freshman year? I mean, that's just absurd. It's just ridiculous. It's dumb. And <laughs> just, just to add one last thing, I think I'd be, I'm of the mind of one more year in the NCAA for Hudson and then one year in Laval. I think, I think having in like a, a more linear progression in terms of levels would be really good for him in terms of, not going NCAA to NHL, I think one year in the AHL would do him a ton of good. Yeah. Uh, but I'm curious to see what the Habs do with that, because uh, even this current regime has shown a tendency to get players from wherever they're at and immediately stick them into the NHL. And uh, I don't think that would be the best strategy for Lane Hudson. Yeah. So I do, I do want to just, before we move on to another prospect, talk a little bit about that, that aspect of it, because I think one of the things with with Canadians fans is that when we see talent, we get impatient. I think it's like that with every fan base. But in Montreal, I think we're so starved for, you know, a good, reliably strong contending team year in and year out that when we see somebody who has this kind of upside and we see like, you know, how do you like every single week you would have something about a new record he broke or a new thing he did or, you know, how many points he had per night. Like I I literally would remember that. And, And on Sundays when we would start to record, I would go back and look at your Twitter feed to see like what you had said about Lane Hudson in case I missed any of his games or in case you know because like obviously he is one of my favorite prospects so I I, I kept a, a little bit more of a closer eye but my question is so I think patience needs to be the name of the game with players like this because the talent is there and we know the talent is there but it needs to be translatable to a professional league which Mm -hmm. is so, so important. And I think a lot of people are still concerned about his size. I'm not necessarily concerned about his size. I would say what aspects of his, like the fine tuning, what what aspects of his game needs some more fine tuning? I mean, you both mentioned 
probably at least another year in the NCAA. Uh, I do think, though, that if he has a full year and there's a chance to bring him to Laval, like the Habs will probably take that opportunity. I think we'll learn a lot this year about what they do with who they put in Laval and who they don't. Yeah. Um, so what kind of fine, fine, what, what kind of aspects of his game do you think require a little bit finer tuning before he can move to uh, to a professional league with potentially bigger bodies, a little bit more bruising, a little bit more, you know, a little bit more professional, like in the NHL, he's going to be playing with the top players, right? Yeah, hopefully. And the thing is with, with Hudson is that everything mental in his game, he's got down pat. I don't think there's much to, to kind of develop there. It's just his, his feet don't keep up with his brain. And that's a big concern right now for a smaller guy. You need to be able to evade pressure. You need to be able to keep up with wingers when they're when they're barreling down the sides of, of the ice. I mean, you know, if you put him up against Josh Anderson in a one v one rush uh, defending scenario, he's losing every time. It's just it's it's he needs to work on that pivoting game. And you know, as soon as he faces someone big enough or fast enough or strong enough with with a, a decent enough reach off the rush, he gets beat fairly easily. And we saw that at the World Juniors uh, and at the uh, International World uh, Championships, which was. You know, th- that was kind of his introduction to playing against men, against professionals, against guys who, you know, have a chance in the NHL. And you saw a difference. I mean, he he scored a fantastic goal, probably the best goal we saw in the tournament. Um, but then defensively in that same game was getting beat regularly. So it's just how much do you mitigate that risk and how high can he play in the lineup really depends on improving his skating, improving his pivoting, uh, and, and just improving overall his ability to keep up with players off the rush. That's his biggest, I, I think, area of weakness that needs fine-tuning. And I think as soon as you work on making a more explosive out of pivots, making him access his outside edges a bit better, you're getting a player who's going to be able to keep up mentally with the game because he already does. You just need to get that physical aspect up, you know, not in terms of strength because I don't think Hudson's ever going to bully a six foot three winger. It's just not his game. Um, but he's able to play between checks. He's able to find um, he's able to find options under pressure a lot better than he did last year as well. For me, it's just mainly off the rush because in his own zone, when he's recovering a puck, he's able to absorb a hit, absorb pressure and play through it. It's just off the rush is the biggest concern. And as a defenseman who's so offensively inclined as as daring as he is, he's going to be facing a lot of rush scenarios. So the more you mitigate that risk, the better Hudson will be and the higher the chance of him becoming a true top pair defenseman. I want to preempt something real quick. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole because we could talk about this for hours. I want to preempt the whole size argument with Lane Hudson. I think one of the things is that people say like, oh, the reason that he can't do that is because he's not big enough. But I want to go back to what you're talking about. You know, like he's never going to bully a six foot three winger. That's okay if you have other guys, right? Like it's not about like people always like enough with these small players. I think it's all about balance. Like you do need a bigger bruising guy. And for me, I don't care about size as much as, you know, I care about talent. So if you're going to get a big guy, don't just get a guy that's just large, right? Or heavy or plays heavy. That person needs to have skill. And I think if if you have a balance up and down your lineup of that, it's okay for Lane Hudson not to be able to do that, right? Like his his strength is somewhere else. It's not yeah. there. And you kind of you have to if you're if you're managing a team, if you're constructing a roster, you have to play to each other's strengths and sort of make sure that you have balance up and down your lineup. Cause I just mm-hmm. I get so sick of being like, you know, the Canadians only pick small players. That is absolutely not true. Um, that is definitely not something that's going on, but also that you only need big players to win. I think you absolutely need skill. And I think Mm -hmm. that should be where you start. And then you build in the size wherever possible. I think that's, that's just my, my point of view. I I just, it's just because I'm like imagining everybody complaining about his size and I'm like, that's not what he's here for. He's not here to be big. 
he's here to be talented. He's here to create offense. He's here to kind of, you know, he's here to help the transition game. He's here to get the puck out of the zone. He's here to create chances. I think that's the most important thing with Lane Hudson. For sure. I mean, look, if you're looking back at the Kakanyemi draft, how many Habs fans right now would be saying that they'd rather have the big Finnish centerman instead of the small American defenseman in Quinn Hughes? <laughs> Not many. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So like you have to, you kind of have to have balance. In just one moment, you're going to hear me ask about David Reinbacher and we're going to be talking all about his ceiling, his upside. It's all good vibes about David Reinbacher on today's episode. And once you hear what, you ha- what they have to say, you're going to feel really good about this pick That's all coming up in just one moment. But first, I have to tell you about AG1. I started taking AG1 daily because I needed to take charge of my health. It is the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health, and I drink it literally every day. It is delicious. I was exhausted. I'm stressed out. You know my life is extremely full and extremely stressful, so I started taking AG1. I drink AG1 in the morning before I start my long days, and it truly makes me feel ready to tackle my day, ready to tackle my stress. It gives me that energy that I need. And if you want the same thing, you want to take care of yourself and you want that energy, that clarity, what you want to, you know, you want to be ready to start your days. You want to drink AG1 just like I do. And if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D as well as five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash NHL network. That's drinkag1.com slash NHL Network. Check it out. What's up, guys? Trey Matthews of Locked on Devils here. And let me tell you about Discover Debit Cash Back. Wings for the game? Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey? Boom, cash back. Even a last-minute ice run could score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cash Back Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's a guaranteed win? Discover Cash Back Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one is a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Speaking of balance, um, the Canadians this year did kind of go in a different direction uh, with all of their draft picks. I did want to focus a little bit on David Reinbacher because I think that some of some of the positivity and upside in his game has been lost in sort of the collective fan disappointment or underwhelm with the draft. So I wanted to like really have a conversation about David Reinbacher and think about and talk about what does he bring to the game? Like, what are we excited about with David Reinbacher? My comp for him all season long uh, was Caden Gooley, and I kind of stick by that. Uh, There are definitely differences. Um, Gooley, as a draft eligible, was definitely more violent than Reinbacher is. Uh, Not to say that Reinbacher doesn't play with physicality. He does. It's just Gooley will explode people in hits, right? And that's not really Reinbacher's game. He doesn't really chase hits very much, uh, which Gooley doesn't do too much, but less so uh the one key difference that i see between between the the, the two is that on the one hand i think reinbacher is a little bit more refined than Gooley was in his draft year 
Uh, and on the other hand, uh, where Guli was a strong handler and carrier, but a bad passer, Reinbacher is the opposite. He is a very strong passer, uh, and his handling skill is very limiting. Uh, he he kind of has a locked top, top hand uh, with his elbow over his shoulder. It's kind of an awkward stance, and that limits his range of motion a lot. Uh, so when he's kind of circling around the offensive zone or trying to go through the neutral zone, carry the puck up himself, uh, he's really only relying on his feet and his physicality to protect the puck and to evade. There's very, very little like deception in, in his rushes, and I think that's something that he'll need to work on. That said, this is a really intelligent uh, defensive player, uh, very, very, very good both in zone and in defending the rush. Uh, he plays like extremely well in a professional system in, in the Swiss hockey league. I think his defensive game is among the most refined of the entire 2023 draft class. Uh, that said in the offensive zone, I think he's more limited than, than the point totals might suggest. Like we've seen NHL E models like adore him for his production in a professional league. I'm a little bit more skeptical on that based on how he produced. Uh, a lot of it was secondary assists, shots from the point that were deflected. Um, his big flashes of offense were often him like circling around the offensive zone and like where the ice surface is bigger uh, in Europe. And uh, he just kind of goes around once or twice in a circle and doesn't prod any holes in that compact defensive structure, just kind of goes around and then passes off to a teammate still on the perimeter. So I think he needs to really integrate some elements of deception and for instance, like maybe using some stutter steps in, in in those circles, trying to poke holes, and rather than just going single speed in a in a in a little circle, uh, but those are things that he can develop. I think uh, with the Habs development team, there's definitely hope that he can uh, really build on his offensive game. Uh, but I think as of right now, it's a little bit limited. Uh, but yeah, I think I think he's an excellent player, and the Habs are lucky to add him to their prospect pool. Uh, I just, I don't quite think it was the highest value selection at five, which I think a lot of Habs fans also feel. Uh, but that said, this is going to be a top four piece for the next two decades for the Habs. I think he fits systemically really, really well. Like he's going to be a great fit with Martin St. Louis. Uh, and he won't have the offensive burden either. Like like Lane Hudson can be the the, the first power play quarterback. Yep. You don't need Ryan Bacher to be that player. And that's okay. He can thrive in a different role. Uh, he's going to be a tremendous five-on-five defenseman and probably a really solid PK one as well. So you're getting a, a really good player, but perhaps a little bit more subtly good than you would expect to get a fifth overall yeah and one thing i'd add regarding nhle is i like nhl e models and kind of a rudimentary aspect of you know in late rounds you know sure bet on the guy with the with the top 20 nhle you never know but for me it's just the thing with nhle that that isn't considered is how certain you know league structures benefit certain play styles and skill sets and that's definitely the case for reinbacher where he was able to put up all those points because a lot of the structures in the Swiss National League are collapsing structures defensively. So you'll see a lot of protecting the slot, a lot of five-man within the high slot type type scenarios. And that benefits Reinbacher's game greatly because he's a poor handler, so he's never going to have... He doesn't have to go to this high slot because it's always clonked up. So all he needs to do is use a strong skating, his physical reach, um, in order to circle the ice, like Sebastian said. So 
that's kind of the one limiting aspect of NHLE is that it, it often purely looks at point production, sometimes size, sometimes handedness uh, within a certain league to kind of equ- kind of equivocate that to what it would be in the NHL. But it severely understates the aspect of why does this player succeed in that league as well? You know, would that player succeed in the SHL or the uh, KHL or that kind of thing? It just it doesn't take that in, into consideration. All it does is equivocate the points using an equation, which has its benefits. Like I said, when you're drafting in the mid to late rounds, you're looking for those gems. Always bet on the guys that are able to produce more than their, their age group for sure. But to look at a guy at fifth overall to go, yeah, has NHL is high uh, and kind of limited to that it's it's just there's a lot more that goes into it and that's especially the scouting when, aspect especially yeah. when there was a player with an even better nhle left on the board are we talking about zach benson or matthew michkov because either are... or yeah <laughs> so. I, honestly for me zach benson was the one where i was like really fixated on and, and i was mm-hmm. disappointed i i want to stay on raven if, if raven dienbacher David Reinbacher for just one more moment because he did sign his entry-level deal obviously this summer, um, which in my mind gives the Canadians a lot more control over his development. So if you're the Canadians and you're the skills coach and you're, you know, you're kind of any of the development team, like what kinds of things are you having David Reinbacher work on over the next couple of years? Oh, small life scenarios for sure with the puck, um, just evading pressure quickly, getting on his backhand um, and and just cutting across opponents' hands in order to get out of of small life scenarios would be his big weakness because, he hasn't faced many of those scenarios in the Swiss National League. The, the, the even the forechecking pressure is completely different than what he's going to be facing in North America. Um, there's, yeah. there's, you know, at most one guy who's pressuring you, and he's even pressuring you very lightly. Usually in the S in, in the uh, in the Swiss National League, whereas in the AHL, in the NHL, you often see two one twos on the forecheck. You often see kind of scenarios where you try to evade one guy, the second guy's on your back, that kind of thing. He's gonna have to work on those. So definitely, um, you know on puck scenarios where he's having to recover pucks off the boards, get off of them quickly, get on his backhand and cut across pressure rather than trying to just poke pucks up the boards, you know, that kind of thing would yeah. very, very benefit his game. Yeah. yeah his, his off puck game is very, very strong. It's one of the stronger ones in the entire 2023 draft class. Yeah. Uh, so as Hattie said, like it is the on puck game. And I think I would build on like, same same type of thing but specifically the handling i think he really needs to loosen up that top hand he needs to i think just stick him with marie philippe poulain for for a couple months and work on the handling and 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 work on the puck protection the small area game which is one of her greatest strengths i think that would be great uh that'd be one of my big focuses uh obviously keep trying to develop his strengths further i think if he's if he's going to be a top pairing player in the nhl it's if you double down on his current strengths, like you're not going to get into a top pairing role by trying to make him an offensive wizard. Like it's not going to happen. That's totally fine. Uh, But I would keep trying to develop the defense, keep developing the physicality, keep developing everything that he's good at uh, because I think you need to get those to the level of being separating skills in order to unlock that top pairing potential too. Yeah, no, absolutely. One last little thing I'd say is just the um, uh, kind of recovering rims off the boards in the offensive zone would be one thing that'll really help his handling to be able to face those scenarios more often where he's collecting pucks off the boards in the offensive zone. Basically you rim the puck around the offensive zone, have him on the the right side of the offensive blue line recovers the puck has to go to his back and basically you give him a four checker that's pressuring him up the board so that he has to go to the inside. 
it, it'll develop small habits that are really good because off the puck, even offensively, he's really good. His ability to read when to pinch, when to hit the offensive zone, when to hit those pockets is really good. And that's going to pair really well with Lane Hudson. But it is essential to me that he learns to do that, do the work that Hudson does on the puck uh, in the offensive zone. That'll be really good for his game. This is so much information. I just like, I'm smiling just because I'm learning so much <laughs> right yeah. now. Um, as you guys know, prospects are not my strong suit. My strong suit is whining about the Habs power play. Uh, but uh, we are not whining at all today. Like, it's basically a very positive show today. Up next, we're going to talk about Adam Engstrom and his emergence as a true promising defensive prospect for the Montreal Canadiens. And that's all coming up next. Gil Martin here, host of the Locked On NHL podcast. Join me every Monday for the three biggest stories from across the NHL, including how newly traded players are fitting in around the league. Check out the Locked On NHL podcast every Monday, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I want to turn our attention to another positive uh, aspect to the Canadians is Adam Engstrom. So when he was drafted, obviously, there, was, there wasn't a whole lot of information that Habs fans were familiar with. Like Adam Engstrom was not somebody that we were closely studying or following. I think part of it has to do with we didn't know how this Canadians, this new organization uh, front office would draft, like what their philosophy was. Um, and I think over the course of the last year, I think what he's done is kind of, in my mind, whether it was prog progress this year or it's something that he had all along that we weren't noticing, is that he is so much more promising than what we thought and also so much more promising than where he was drafted. I think yep. that's also really key. So I wanted to ask you guys a little bit about your thoughts. And let's say you're not super familiar with Adam Engstrom. Why should Canadians fans be hype about him? Yeah, so I've watched a whole lot of Engstrom, and um, especially last year. And what I've always come across and, and what a lot of his coaches were saying was he needs to learn to play poker. Um, basically how, when, when to fold, when to go all in, um, especially defensively, he would often go all in. He would often pressure guys really hard, um, and kind of get left on the back foot, uh, heading into his own zone, that kind of thing. He's very good in transition. He's got a great first pass, fantastic hands. Uh, he's able to get out of pressure really well. Some of the things that we were talking with Thrymbacker that are kind of missing, he has down pat, but the defensive game, um, like I said, you know, playing poker, lear learning how to read the game and when to kind of get involved defensively, when to hold back, when to, when to hold the blue line, that kind of thing is really going to help his game. And I feel like that's come a long way. Watching him in this training camp, I felt like he was a lot closer to the NHL than he was previously, which is that was my main concern is with Angstrom. I saw kind of a longer path to the NHL where it would take him three, four years. Now I'm talking maybe a year or two before, you know, I feel like he's NHL ready in terms of development. So the progression in his defensive game, the progression in his activation and his, his kind of composure defensively has gone a long way. So I'm really, really impressed with Angstrom. Yeah. I've gone back and I actually watched some draft year footage uh, with the context of the D of the D plus one year, because I remember watching him like, like while scouting the 2022 class. And I was always like, eh, he was okay. Like he, he, he was often quite passive on the ice. Uh, and I think the big difference as, as Hattie kind of alluded to uh, is that as a D plus one, he started going all in every single time. And in his draft year, he was way too passive. So in my mind, it was kind of an overcorrection, like for the offense, which I, you kind of want to see as a D plus one. Like I, I'd rather see a player, try to overcorrect and then have to like recalibrate because it means that they have that range. And once you have that range, I think it's a bit easier to try to fall somewhere in the middle where you find a bit of a, like a, a more effective style. 
but yeah, he he was incredible in my in my view. He's the D plus one. He was one of yeah. the best U twenty one defensemen in Sweden for sure. Uh, and he was doing that as a nineteen year old who was a third yeah. round draft pick. It was really impressive. Uh, he's extremely mobile. Uh, he he flashes really impressive skill. He's not like Lane Hudson in terms of taking over shifts in the offensive zone, yeah. but he makes really good, subtle offensive plays, and he will be aggressive offensively. Uh, I think right now my projection would be a an offensive player on a second pairing. I think that is quite a reasonable one. I, I, I haven't quite seen the top pairing upside in terms of like the raw skill, like even in his most aggressive all in moments, yeah. it's not an overwhelming skill, even against junior competition. Uh, so I think if fans are starting to, to, to get hyped in terms of like, he is our, our future top pairing guy, I would pump the brakes a little bit, but I, I think he's excellent. And I don't think he's getting quite enough focus by the collective Habs fan base, though I have seen some individual people go uh, be, be very optimistic on it, on his potential too. And I think part of it is also just because of where he was drafted, right? Like everybody has a tendency to just kind of look at the the top players or the ones, also the ones in North America just kind of, you know, as we, we get more news about the QMJHL players. More the highlights OHL too. Players. Yeah, like this, it's, it's more available to us. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm hearing a little bit is that these are aspects of his game that he can improve by playing a maximum number of minutes against the best competition, essentially, right? Yeah, and, which and, he and will he'll be doing that this year. He, he's going to yep. be a first pairing defenseman in the SHL as a D plus two, and it's going to be nuts. Uh, like, <laughs> like, like he's in a great system. Regla is one of the is probably the best development uh, pro- pro- program in all of Europe. Probably, probably, yeah, yeah. Like it's 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 a tremendous place for him to marinate. I'd probably give him two more years there, just because it's such a, an awesome role. I would rather not like try to tear him out of that in a year's time. Like I'd rather give him two years as a as a top pairing guy in Sweden uh, mm-hmm. on a good young team, and uh, like the doors kind of opened up to him for him. Like like you have like like William Wallender who's who's off to the AHL, which really opens up that 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 top pairing left shot defenseman role. Yeah, and he Tom kind Volander. of had his and, yeah. and, and, and Volander as the right as a right shot is also gone. Uh but I think that the playoffs are really kind of like his coming out party as a true high-end shl defenseman like you had you had interviews of the coaches of the head coach that he was playing against in the middle of the series saying like yeah this guy's ridiculous like i've had to like (laughs) adapt my systems uh to deal with him like he's he's yeah no the opposing the opposing coach straight up said that he had no solution to adam yeah (laughs) and this is in the shl playoffs and this is a 19 year old kid so his 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 progression has been really really impressive I'm very curious to see how he starts the season in that big role. Cause last year was kind of his, it, it, the year where he elevated himself to that level. I'm yeah. curious what happens when he's kind of handed the keys to that defensive core uh, as a 19 year old. Uh, so it's going to be a very exciting season for Adam Engstrom. And I'm quite hopeful for his NHL upside. Yep. I think for me, his NHL upside is Habs have depth, right? Like that's oh, something yeah. that they've lacked for, for like decades now. And and so, you know, he's not going to make the top pairing. That's fine. Like if <laughs> you have, like if your second and third pairing are also like high quality for that position, then you're sitting pretty, right? Like I'm not saying take a number one defenseman and like shoehorn him into number two or number four or number three, whatever it is, right? I'm just saying the Canadians need like very strong, high quality depth. If they're going to quote unquote contend, like that's what everybody's aiming for. 
it's really it's really about having the best players at each individual position and having them come together. All right. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode and you got a lot out of it because there's tons more where that came from. On the next episode, we're going to talk a little bit about Philip Mayshar. We're going to talk about some other prospects. We are going to talk about who Hattie and Sebastian are excited about for the next upcoming draft. Yes, we're already looking ahead to next year. And on Friday, it is an all-prospect mailbag. It is all your questions so make sure you are tuned in you're subscribed to locked on canadians wherever you get your podcasts or on youtube or both you can find us on twitter at lo underscore canadians you can find us uh, you can find us on youtube and leave mailback comments and mailback questions in those comments uh you can also email us lockedoncanadians at gmail.com we love to hear from you you'll find me on twitter at the active stick you'll find scott at scott matla you'll find hattie at hattie k underscore scouting You'll find Sebastian at high underscore Sebastian. And you will find their work at Dauber Prospects, Habs Eyes on the Prize, literally everywhere. They've got such great insight. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode because that's what we're going to be doing on tomorrow's episode as well. Gil Martin here, host of the Locked On NHL podcast. Join me every Monday for the three biggest stories from across the NHL, including how newly traded players are fitting in around the league. Check out the Locked On NHL podcast every Monday, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.